Hey, this is Dave Infante. Welcome to Vine Pairs Tap Lines, a weekly interview series with brewing icons, industry insiders, and outspoken experts about the United States' most beloved and best-selling beers. It's modern American history, one beer at a time. The cooler is full of lager, the grill is crowded with hot dogs, the air is thick with toxic smoke of wildfires exacerbated by our profit-driven climate crisis. It's summer in America, baby. <laughs> Welcome to a very special seasonal episode of Tap Lines, my dear listener. As always, I'm your host, Dave Infante, Vine Pair contributing editor and columnist. Usually, this is the part where I queue up the brilliant guest we booked for today's show, but here's the thing. We're publishing this on 4th of July 2023, and everybody in the entire damn brewing industry was busy stacking case displays, swapping kegs, and stocking beer caves for the past week in preparation for one of the biggest beer-selling holidays on the calendar. So I'm flying solo this episode, and I got something terrific on deck for your listening pleasure. For the past decade or so, Anheuser-Busch InBev has temporarily remade Budweiser with some sort of Stars and Stripes label and jingoistic name. Known informally as Americans, these seasonal rebrands present a vision of the United States that simply doesn't exist in reality. It's a lesson ABI is learning in real time this year as it tries to soothe snarling conservative critics of Bud Light's relationship with a trans influencer using ineffective, both-sides platitudes. Or at least, it's a lesson they should be learning. To break it down for the world's biggest beer company, and, of course, for you... I've adapted some of my reporting from last year on Budweiser's cynical summer patriotism and some of my reporting from this year about Bud Light's ongoing exercise in corporate rake steppery <laughs> into the experimental episode of Tap Lines you're about to hear. I hope you enjoy. There was a time not long ago when I thought Budweiser's semi-regular American flag-themed summer rebrand was pretty cool. I wouldn't say I'd look forward to it, per se, but I came to consider the arrival of Stars and Stripes-themed Bud Heavies in the supermarket each year as yet another sign that summer had begun in earnest. But as far as I can tell, the King of Beers isn't doing anything of the sort this year, and frankly, that's probably for the best. As graphic tees and boardwalk knickknack shops across the country will reliably inform you, the sun never sets on a badass, but... History has shown us that the sun always sets on an empire, and you don't have to be a political scientist to notice that the American version is in its twilight these days. Our life expectancy is stagnating, our material conditions are worsening, and the call is coming from inside the house. Most foreboding to the American experiment, we're incapable of agreeing that these things are bad, or even on the basic goals of that experiment in the first place. A January 2022 study published by the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace found that across 70-plus years in 200-plus countries, no other established democracy has become this polarized for this long. As one of the study's co-authors told The Atlantic, for the United States, I am very pessimistic. Understandable. Talk of America's contemporary political polarization is typically accompanied by mealy-mouthed pleas for civility and bipartisanship. A common colloquial version of this hand-wringing lament is set against the backdrop of the bar. If Americans could simply sit down and have a beer together, you know, we'd be able to set aside our differences and find common ground together. You may not believe that today, but as recently as 2009, none other than Barack Obama at least pretended to. 
The then-president summoned a black Harvard professor and the white police officer who had unceremoniously arrested the scholar outside his own home to a White House beer summit to soothe conservatives red-assed about reverse racism because Obama had offhandedly criticized the cop. I've always believed that what brings us together is stronger than what pulls us apart, Berio explained after the meeting. In other words, beer. Which brings us, more or less, back to those bunting, bedecked Budweiser's. For at least a decade, the King of Beers has gussied itself up in Americana-style packaging each summer to persuade the nation's drinkers, me included, to patriotically purchase more lager. I say at least here because Budweiser's parent company, ABI, declined my request for an interview about its seasonal rebrands and also declined to provide basic facts about it, including its duration, when I originally reported this story in 2022. But I'm pretty sure it started in 2011. I should note that Bud is hardly the only beer brand engaged in making over its packaging to celebrate the prime beer-selling weeks between May and August. This is a tried-and-true marketing gambit for brands including Miller Lite, Yangling, and Samuel Adams, plus some unknown but surely statistically significant portion of the country's 9,700-plus craft breweries. And there's historical precedent for this sort of rally-around-the-flag marketing gambit in the American brewing business that long predates the American. In the 19th and 20th centuries, American brewers spent considerable cash on prominent public displays of loyalty to the country and its star-spangled banner. The grandfathers of American macro brewing funded those campaigns not out of selfless love of country, but self-preservation in the face of anti-immigrant, pro-suffragette, Protestant populism that would eventually coalesce constitutionally as prohibition. The flag-waving gambit failed, but Thanks to a near-immediate descent into corruption, hypocrisy, and violence, the 18th Amendment failed too. In the post-Prohibition era, the titans of the U.S. beer business banded together and redoubled their efforts to pitch their product as a drinkable embodiment of the American spirit. Fast forward back to the modern era. Despite decades of sliding sales and the fact that it's now produced by a foreign-known conglomerate, Budweiser remains tightly linked with the Pax Americana mythos thanks to a sophisticated, aggressive advertising acumen that's elevated the Clydesdales and Screaming Eagle logo to de facto national emblems. That stature makes the fact that the brand continues to drape itself in old glory culturally significant, all the more so given Budweiser's own glory has been fading for decades in the American market. Its makeovers vary from year to year, but they always feature lowest common denominator markers of mainstream Americanness. In 2016, for example, during the acrimonious summer homestretch prior to then-candidate Donald Trump's eventual election, ABI temporarily rechristened Bud as America. In 2018, it introduced a Bud one-off inspired by a George Washington hand-penned recipe for lager. In 2021, it opted for a minimalist star-spangled aluminum sheath, but 2022's version featured an eagle with stars in its wings peering fearsomely around the midsection of each jingified can of Budweiser, which wasn't called Budweiser at all that year, but rather Freedom. Below, in sharp block type, it read, Let it ring. But ring for who? It's not like the past decade has been kind to the notion of a cohesive American identity. Polling shows that Americans across the U.S. political spectrum share self-defined core values and rising moral tolerance, which seems good. 
But they also show that her trust in major governmental and cultural institutions like the Supreme Court and the media varies widely depending on political outlook, which is pretty certainly bad. Apropos of the flag-draped American, a March 2021 YouGov NBC poll showed major differences in respondents' feelings towards our national banner depending on their age, race, and politics. The upshot? The older, whiter, and more Republican you are, the better you feel about a neighborhood full of stars and stripes, and vice versa. And that's just the data. The vibes around here lately, from the incessant mass shootings and climate death warnings to corporate profiteering and baby food shortages... They're downright horrendous. A country built on the backs of slaves was never destined for a straightforward or homogenous relationship with the concept of freedom. But a multinational firm whose political spending and corporate messaging are often on contradicting sides of culture war issues where personal liberty is literally at stake should know better than to hope otherwise. It honestly seems unlikely to me that ABI was aiming for partisanship with its 2022 Budweiser rebrand. If anything, freedom is so uncontroversial as to be an empty vessel for drinkers across the political landscape to project upon as they see fit. But therein lies the rub of the company's anodyne flag-first marketing. Pandering to an idealized American center is only a safe bet when there's still people in the center to pander to. Are there? The national identity is only fractured since 2011 when ABI started this shtick. And it's hard to imagine more convincing evidence at that point than the crisis the company found itself embroiled in after another one of its brands triggered a transphobic backlash from America's conservative grievance machine earlier this year. I'm talking, of course, about Bud Light. On April 1st, 2023, Dylan Mulvaney, a Broadway actor and influencer, spent the past year documenting her transition to a massive audience of old and new fans on social media, posted a video to Instagram to show off a custom Bud Light can with her face on it that she'd received either from the brand or an agency working for the brand or whatever. It's kind of a distinction without a difference. Shortly thereafter, the video began making the rounds in right-wing social media circles where impossibly angry bigots began braying about ABI shoving identity politics down our throats with this unremarkable one-off social media-only promotion. Three days into this performative teeth gnashing, Kid Rock shot a bunch of Bud Light with an assault rifle and posted the video to Twitter, where it now has over 52 million views. Five days after that, I reported how right-wing operatives were hard at work focusing this bigoted wrath at two female ABI employees with viral posts shrieking over their appearances and stated interest in diversifying the company and Bud Light's waning customer base. Nine days later, Tucker Carlson's Daily Caller published 15-year-old photos of Heinerscheid drinking in college as evidence that she was a hypocrite for correctly identifying Bud Light's long-standing fratty image as a potential obstacle to broadening its lessening appeal with U.S. drinkers. That night, the since-canned pundit smeared the executive to 3.3 million viewers on his top-rated cable hate hour. Twelve days in, Vox's Emily Stewart reported that the outlet had been copied on several bomb threats to ABI. And so on and so forth. Through all this, the macro brewer made basically no public-facing moves to address the frothing bigotry it had provoked. Early on, the firm issued a pat statement noting that it, quote, works with hundreds of influencers across our brands, close quote, and that the custom can it sent Mulvaney was, quote, not for sale to the general public, close quote. Bud Light's social channels went dark for nearly two weeks. Finally, 14 days after the maelstrom touched off, 
North American CEO Brendan Whitworth broke his silence with a Friday afternoon press release entitled, Our Responsibility to America. It was mewling centrist pap. Whitworth, a former Marine, left the vicious harassment of both Mulvaney and his own employees unaddressed, trying instead to assuage the roiling right-wing id with niceties about how beer brings people together. That's a long-running ABI marketing fiction laid particularly bare by the vitriol the company's own flagship beer was enduring at that time and has since. The fact that ABI passed on that slam-dunk opportunity to clarify its stance on the existence of trans people, which is a referendum that it called down upon itself in a profit-seeking promotional exercise, mind you, tells me everything I need to know about the king of beers. Talk is cheap. It's so fucking cheap, in fact, that for the past few years, the Macrobrewer has been able to loudly tout its perfect score on the Human Rights Campaign's Equality Index and drape itself in rainbows every Pride Month and still have hundreds of thousands of dollars left over to funnel into the coffers of retrograde Republican lawmakers across the country via its Corporate Political Action Committee. Those politicians have used that beer money, your beer money, to advance a breathtaking rash of anti-LGBTQ plus bills designed to rob trans Americans of the very freedoms the company supposedly holds so dear. But Dave, you know, the boycott's working. Oh, look at their stock. It's down. Modelo just overtook Bud Light as the country's best-selling beer. Look, first of all, Bud Light sales have been down for years. It's a brand in its twilight. The sales will eventually rebound, but... It'll never recapture the volumes of its heyday for the same reason Budweiser can't either. Namely, the age of a beer that's all things to all people, that quenches the thirst of some hypothetical center, is over. Second, yes, it is a big deal that Modelo overtook Bud Light, but the headline you're probably thinking of from early June referred to a snapshot of dollars, not volume, off-premise, not including draft, and only for a trailing four-week period, so take it with a grain of salt. Third of all, this situation, which, again, ABI brought on itself, presented the company with a straightforward choice. Pay just a tiny little bit of lip service to trans people's existence, or give ground to bloodthirsty ideologues and self-interested hustlers. ABI flinched early, and it's been trying to stake out a hypothetical middle ground between transphobes and trans people ever since. A center, if you will. But it doesn't exist anymore, which is why three months into this crisis, the company still hasn't figured out an effective way to move past it. Meanwhile, its distributors, a politically conservative bunch who mostly prefer to stay out of the public eye, are pissed off about all this negative attention to the multi-billion dollar beer brand they've been painting all over their trucks for decades. ABI desperately needs its partners in the middle tier to help it right the ship, so it's been literally throwing money at wholesalers in the form of worker bonuses, financial assistance, and tripled ad spend. But sales have continued to struggle apace. I don't really see Bud Light's new ad campaign, released in the final days of June 2023, helping all that much. It's called Easy to Summer, and it's uninspired dreck made by a brand that's very clearly scared of its own shadow right now. And Whitworth's appearance on CBS, his first TV interview since all this started, probably won't fix it either. The executive spent the entire interview equivocating on the company's position and pandering to mainstream Americana tropes like the troops and job creation and bringing people together over a beer. You know the drill. 
He also claimed ABI is, quote, one degree of separation away from the American flag, close quote. That's an absurd thing to say about a company headquartered in Belgium, run by Brazilian executives, formed via hostile takeover of an actual American institution in 2008. But it sure is revealing, isn't it? Revealing and misguided, I say. The days of a monolithic American drinking public are over. ABI can wave that flag all at once, but it won't change that reality. Taplines is recorded in Richmond, Virginia, and produced by yours truly and Darby Seasai, who, along with the talented Shane Ferrick, composed our delightful soundtrack. Just listen to it. I also want to give a quick shout-out to the entire Vine Pair team, and especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, Editor-in-Chief Joanna Sherino, Managing Editor Tim McCurdy, and Art Director Danielle Grinberg, who designed our lovely Taplines logo. And of course, a big thank you to you, yes you listener, for spending time with us week in and week out. We literally couldn't do this without you. I'm Dave Infante, and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>